What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Veil. I'm your host, Alex Nelson, and in today's episode, we are going to go deep into the question that I asked on Instagram, which was, what do you want to know about the safe and effective use of psychedelics? So before going any further, if you enjoy this episode, if you find it useful, please share it out with a friend that you think could use it. Give me a five-star rating if you're listening on iTunes, and if you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and drop a like, drop a comment, and subscribe to my channel. Uh, without any further ado, let's jump right into the episode. So first thing right off the bat with the safe and effective use of psychedelics this is not meant to be prescriptive advice this is informational content uh, for you to learn more about it so i am not advising you specifically the listener or the viewer to do anything with these compounds they are illegal in most cases and in most places so please take that into account when you're hearing this advice um when we're talking about psychedelics, there's a few different compounds I'm going to focus mostly on, simply because those are the ones I have the most experience with. Those are going to be psilocybin, also known as magic mushrooms, LSD, uh, ayahuasca, um, and MDMA. Those are sort of the big four that I consider to be very powerful and have a lot of benefit behind them. Uh, the other ones can be very effective as well, but these are probably the four most common ones and the ones that are most currently in the zeitgeist of public uh, public consciousness. So the first thing to do to know with any psychedelic is that the goal is the minimum effective dose. And that's a concept that a lot of people get wrong with interacting with psychedelics. They want to take the maximum amount. They hear about these heroic journeys that people do where they take five grams of mushrooms and then go deep. And I've been guilty of this myself. Doing that because I heard that that's what I should do. And realistically, you can get a super powerful experience on a very small dose of some of these things. And a lot of times, we tend towards taking these giant doses because we just want to like blast off and have fireworks, and we're not setting our intention correctly to actually do the work and to work on stuff. So minimum effective dose is the protocol for all psychedelics in all circumstances. Doesn't mean you never work up to one of those big doses, but especially important for people who are not experienced with these compounds, you wanna go for the smallest amount possible. You can always take an, a bigger dose at a later time on a different day. So you never wanna just go whole hog right off the bat. Um, some psychedelics are a little more beginner friendly. Uh, psilocybin is the one that I wanna target in particular for this. It is a shorter action window than other classic psychedelics like LSD. So psilocybin is anywhere from a four to a six hour trip. LSD can be like eight to 10 to 12 hours, uh, which can be a little bit hard to handle because all of a sudden you're tripping for an entire day. Whereas psilocybin or magic mushrooms, you can contain until just an evening or just part of a day um, and still have some time to integrate. Um, don't get it twisted though, just because it has a shorter action window doesn't mean you can't have a very, very powerful experience with it. Some of my most powerful experiences have been with psilocybin specifically. Um, it does seem to be a little bit more predictable in terms of the arc of the trip. Psilocybin has a very, a very clear profile of going up and then a peak a couple hours in and then a descent back down into sort of normal waking life. Uh, whereas some of the other psychedelics, especially ayahuasca, that jumps to mind, can sort of be all over the place, up, down, up, down, up, down. Um, and that can be a little 
disconcerting for some people who are new to psychedelics. Um, something else to realize is if you've had recreational psychedelic experiences, either positive or negative, uh, you want to understand that those are very different from doing psychedelics in a ceremonial context. Um, no judgment, I've done psychedelics plenty of times to go see a concert or go to a festival. I mean, it's a ton of fun and can be an amazing experience, but it is very, very different. You will be surprised at, if you've taken mushrooms at a concert, for example, you may not get a lot of visuals, but when you're laying alone, you know, in your room with a trip sitter in the room or whatever, you may get a ton of visuals where you previously didn't. So just be aware that there's a huge difference between a public, you know, festival and sort of a ceremonial context where you're doing these alone. Um, another thing to understand uh, is the bad trip, air quotes. Uh, a lot of people talk about having had bad trips and what a bad trip is is a bad framework for understanding what was actually happening to you. So when someone has a bad trip, what it actually is is they have difficult emotional content that they were not ready to work on and they didn't understand that when they take some of these psychedelics what can happen is that difficult emotional content comes right up to the surface and you look at it and when you have to look at it that can be really really scary for some people so often it'll manifest as sort of like demonic faces or just scary uh scary looking things when you understand the par paradigm that that is actually a difficult trip and not a bad trip it's difficult because you have some deep shit you need to work through. When you understand that, you can take a breath and actually dig into what it's trying to show you and what the emotional content of that trip is, and then it won't be such a, <clears throat> a destabilizing experience as some people report. It is just understanding that these things, when used correctly in a ceremonial context, are going to help you dig into the, <clears throat> the subtext of your own mind. And they're going to help you get underneath sort of what you think on a day-to-day -day basis to what is actually running your behavior on a day-to-day -day basis. And often when people have a, <clears throat> a bad trip, it's because one of a couple things. Number one, the most common by far, is they have some deep-seated trauma that they have really, really ignored. Um, so it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And that can be very, very difficult to deal with. So it helps to have a framework of understanding that some of these things can come up in ceremony. Some of these things can come up when you're working with any plant medicine. So just know that that may come to light and be prepared for it. The other situation in which people have a quote-unquote bad trip is when they're out in public somewhere, whether that's at a festival or if that's at a concert, whatever it might be. Those circumstances can be difficult to deal with because all of a sudden you're tripping maybe harder than you expected or you're dealing with some emotional content you weren't ready to deal with and you're in public and you have nowhere to sort of escape to. Whereas when you're doing a ceremony at home or at a friend's place or maybe, you know, you're doing it at a uh, ceremonial place where you're actually doing a ceremony with a, with a shaman or whatever, then you're a little more in the right setting. And that's a topic we'll touch on next. So the classic thing about psychedelics that people always say is set and setting. And I actually add a third thing to that. It's set, setting, and staff. So those three things are, is what, are what is going to make a productive experience for you, the user, of any psychedelic. So diving into each of those, set just really stands for your mindset going into the experience. So 
how do we craft a good mindset for the experience? Well, number one, we prepare intentionally. So we don't just go, oh, I'm gonna take mushrooms today, fuck it, and take five grams on a whim. That's setting yourself up for failure. You're not taking the medicine seriously, you're not doing it with any intention, you're gonna have bad shit come up, most likely. Um, to prepare for a ceremony or for a big psychedelic experience, you wanna journal beforehand, at least a week beforehand. You wanna meditate every day, at least a week beforehand. Really take care of your sleep, make sure you are well rested, because nothing's worse than getting right up to the ceremony and you've been sleeping like shit, and then all you do for the whole ceremony is sleep because you are so tired. Um, and then take care of your diet, really try to eat super cleanly. All of those things combined sort of put you in a mindset that you are taking this seriously and that you want to get growth from it. And when you put yourself into that mind state, you're going to get growth from it. It's just the way it works. People have very positive outcomes and positive experiences when they prepare intentionally for the ceremony and when they actually take the time out of their life to go, I'm gonna take this seriously. And it's almost, it's almost as if when you take the medicine seriously, it takes you seriously. Um, oftentimes when people just take it on a whim out of the blue, they don't have as good of experiences. You still can have a powerful experience, but it often won't be the same level of depth you'll be able to get to. So then the second part of set setting and staff is setting. So setting is just a simple way to say your surroundings when you're actually in the experience. So that's your music choices. That's the scent choices. Uh, wearing comfortable clothing, having the room be a comfortable temperature, all of those combine into your setting. Um, for music, I highly recommend you create a playlist beforehand so you don't have to be like interacting with your computer or whatever or have your trip sitter play, uh, play music for you. Stay away from any music that has too many lyrics or has too much of an emotional tie for you personally uh, because that's just going to distract you from the work you're supposed to be doing internally. Uh, if you're thinking about, if you're just playing your favorite song on repeat, for example, like you may be thinking about your favorite song instead of thinking about what you need to be working on internally. So I just highly recommend some just generic meditation music or some, uh, some drumming or even just some didgeridoo music I find very effective personally. Stuff like that can really enhance the experience and help you get to a mind state that you need to be in to go deep. Um, one common thing that can be very helpful is if you are running into a mental block, um, for example, in one of my recent psychedelic ceremonies, I ran into this mental block where just like I was repeating something over and over in my head, just boom, 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 over and over and over. How I broke through that was I started to focus on the music. I took my attention off of myself and started to focus on the music for a second and that kind of blasted me through that gate and brought me out to the other side where I was able to actually work on some stuff. So that's a handy tip for if you're having difficulty or you feel like you're stuck somewhere, go ahead and just focus on the music for a second. Let it pull you to where you need to go. Um, the other part of setting is picking the room that you're going to have the experience in. So you should choose a room that is very comfortable and positive to you or at a bare minimum neutral to you. So if you're going out to do ceremony somewhere with a shaman or with someone else, then it's fine if the room's neutral, you've never been in the room before, it doesn't hold any emotional content for you. Or, you know, in a lot of cases, people are gonna be doing this in their own home, which is totally fine. If you're doing that, then you can be in a positive space, you're enjoying being comfortable in your own home. You really want to avoid doing 
a psychedelic in a place that holds a lot of negative connotations for you personally. So whatever that may be, if that's you grew up in your parents' house and you had a lot of yelling and fighting going on when you were young, you probably shouldn't take psychedelics there. It could be a really, really difficult trip. Um, in some circumstances, that might be what the doctor ordered, but generally I don't recommend it, especially for people who it's their first or second time uh, taking these substances. Um, if you're in a positive place, if you're in your own room, you're very comfortable, you've got all your things that you're used to seeing, that just takes one element of uncertainty out of the picture. And then all of a sudden you can focus on the internal work that you're there to be doing. The last piece of set setting and staff is staff. So this can be just the people trip sitting you. If you just have a friend trip sitting you, it can be the shaman or the facilitators. If you're going to actually go do an experience somewhere else, um, there's a couple different things to be careful of here and a couple different things to know. This is actually one of the questions I had actually been asked on my Instagram. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can go at Alexander Diesel on Instagram. And every week when I do this Friday Q&A, I have the question put up and you can ask questions about whatever the topic is. Um, but the question was, how do you go about trip-sitting friends who have never experimented with psychedelics before? So. When you're using a trusted friend as a trip sitter, you want to make sure that the person who is the trip sitter, the person who is sitting, not taking the psychedelic, has done psychedelics before in their life because they need to be able to understand the space that you are about to go to. Um, this can be a just a couple experiences they've had. It could be their very, very experienced, whatever it may be, but it's helpful for them to have been in the place that you are about to go to when you ingest whatever substance it might be. Um, it's also very helpful for them to have a deep understanding of whichever medicine you're about to work with. So if you're about to take psilocybin, it's good for them to know that, hey, you know, the first 30 minutes you may not feel much and maybe you can be a little more talkative and just, you know, expressing how you're feeling. Uh, two hours in, you're probably really deep in it and you shouldn't be bothered. LSD, you know, it could be a long-acting substance, so I generally don't advise that for a more ceremonial context like this. Um, however, if you were using that, it's just helpful to understand that LSD can be very just up and then up for a very long time before you actually start to crescendo back down. Um, if you are the trip sitter, it's really important to let the person you are working with process their emotions. So don't just jump in at the first sign of distress. Um, which is the common reaction, you know, if you see someone kind of crying or you see someone just having some difficulty, that the first thing we want to do is we want to jump right in and help out. That is a, a thoughtful reaction, but it is the wrong reaction. Uh, you want to be really letting the person process through whatever they're working through. It's not your place to interrupt what they're going through. Now, granted, if they are crying for 25 minutes straight, you can go over and say, hey, is everything okay? Can I help you with anything? That's okay. But if they just started crying two minutes ago, don't go right over and interrupt because they may really be working through something deeply ingrained and they're getting it out and they're expressing their emotions, which is totally healthy. And a lot of times in our normal day-to-day -day life, we don't get a chance to express our emotions. That's one of the things that can be so powerful about these psychedelic experiences is you get a chance to really express those emotions in a safe place. Um, the other thing that you want to be careful of is 
when you are going to talk to them, um, you want to set the intention beforehand, like, hey, if you need help, come ask me for it as the trip sitter. Um, I'm not going to come to you very much unless you really, really are struggling. And that just kind of sets the intention that they are empowered to come ask you for help. They are capable enough to come ask for help if they need it. And that prevents what is very common, which is if you're the trip sitter and you get, are you okay? Are you okay? Is everything all right? Ah, you want to avoid that. You're supposed to be the calm center that is helping them get through the experience. And that means just if they're having a bunch of anxiety, cool. That's the classic. Almost everyone experiences that on psychedelics at some point. It's not something to freak out about. It's not something that you need to be worried about. That's just the classic. They're going through it. Everyone goes through it. It's not a big deal. They're going to be okay. If you have that calm energy, if you're bringing that good, calm energy to them, then they're going to calm down much quicker than if you're frantic as well and you're going, ah, is everything okay? Ah, and you're freaking out. Um, and you need to understand, understand yourself for that because if you're not the type of person that can have that calm energy, then you shouldn't be trip-setting someone because uh, there's just as good of a chance that you'll actually spin them out into a negative, uh, negative experience. Uh, so the other thing to be aware of, um, if you're going to do a ceremony with someone you don't know, with a shaman that you don't know, or a facilitator that you haven't met before, maybe you've met once or twice but haven't done a ceremony with, you should vet them very carefully. Um, it's the unfortunate truth that there are creeps out there, go figure, and you want to be careful of who you choose to be in this vulnerable state with. Uh, so one thing you can just ask, and really, really good facilitators will bring it up ahead of time, um, but one thing you can just ask is like, hey, I would like to not be touched during this ceremony. If they have any problem with that, don't go there. <laughs> it's a bad place. There is realistically very, very, very few reasons that the facilitator or the head shaman should be touching you during a ceremony. Um, what I am careful with people to express is if someone was to sit with me, I just express to them, hey, there are two circumstances under which I may touch you during a ceremony. Circumstance number one is if you're really, really having a difficult time for a long period of time, I may touch you gently on the head with my hand and just kind of help calm you down and go, hey, it's okay. I've been there. We've all been there. I'm here for you if you need anything. That's an acceptable form of touch. And someone can opt out of that if they want to. They go, I don't want you to touch me on the head. No big deal. That's fine. The other circumstance in, way in which I may touch someone in ceremony is if they come to me and ask me for a hug or whatever. That's fine. Okay, I can have a hug. But there's really no other circumstance that it's important for someone to be touching you during ceremony. So just be aware of that. And if you if you bring that to the head shaman or to the head facilitator and they have a problem with that, you're in the wrong place. So just ask that question up front. Like, hey, I'd just like to express that I want to make sure that I'd like to not be touched during the ceremony. And they'll nine times out of ten, they're gonna respect your wish wishes. There's obviously many more good facilitators than there are bad ones, but it's just an easy way to weed out the bad ones. Because if they're like, no, I need to do magic healing on you by touching you during the ceremony, it's bullshit. They don't need to do that. And it's not so important for them to do that, that if you ask specifically for them not to do that, that they need to do it. 
Um, so that's just an easy way to avoid creeps. Just be aware that they are out there and be careful. You know, if you're traveling all the way to Peru to go to ayahuasca, bring a friend with. Bring someone you at least know kind of well with you and pick a reputable center so that the other people there have some social pressure to not be creeps towards you. You can look online for reviews, you can find other people who've had experiences and have them recommend something for you, and that'll help reduce the likelihood that there's gonna be creeps involved, but it is something to be aware of. Um, so that's, that's set, setting, and staff. And those are really the three keys to making sure you have a positive experience. Uh, if you do those three things right, you're gonna have a lot of, lot of good experiences working with any medicine. Um, and again, in terms of intensity of the medicines, there's a couple that I would work with personally, and there are some that I would not work with personally. I would need a more traditional setting to do so. So psilocybin is very, very easy to work with, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, MDMA, assuming you have tested it, and assuming that it is truly MDMA, is very, very easy to work with, although it does have some slight health concerns, so be careful with that. Um, ayahuasca. Ibogaine, LSD, some of these stronger plant medicines, um, and in LSD's case, not truly a plant medicine, are more difficult to work with, and you really want to be around experienced veterans to use those, um, because those can take a lot longer, they can go a lot deeper, and you're a little bit less in control in those experiences. Um, for psilocybin, the dosing. Um, typically you want to go with the lowest possible dose off the bat. If it's your first experience ever, go for a one gram dose. Go for a two gram dose maximum. And from there you can judge how that went. And then in a future ceremony down the road, maybe you need to go up a little bit more. But a lot of times people get really powerful experiences when they just go with that minimum effective dose and they just let themselves have the experience because the psychedelic is the catalyst for you to think deeply about yourself. Not, it's not everything. It's the catalyst for you to do some internal self-reflection and really think about what makes you tick. And a lot of times it doesn't take much of a lever to make that floodgate open. So just keep that in mind. You don't need to take these giant doses. Um, on to microdosing. So, Microdosing is all the rage right now. It's every Silicon Valley startup and tech company, everyone's microdosing, or that's how it seems at least. Um, there are effective ways to microdose and there are ineffective ways to microdose. So microdosing psilocybin is very common and microdosing LSD is very common. Uh, the main thing to know for both of those is if it is truly a microdose, it is sub-perceptual. So that means if you are getting any visuals, if you feel high at all, you are not microdosing. That is a, a dose dose. Um, people get that wrong often. They think, oh, well, I, you know, this is how I do it. It's like, that's not microdosing. That's something different. Maybe it's effective for you, but it's not truly microdosing. Definition of microdosing is that it is sub-perceptual. So you should not notice it beyond maybe a slight boost in your mood. Um, however, over the course of a couple of months, you're gonna look back and go, wow, I was having a good couple of months. What was different there? Um, Microdosing protocol for psilocybin specifically. So the protocol I follow is every 72 hours use one tenth of a normal dose. So for the average person, that's gonna be 0.2 grams. Um, you can bump it up a little bit if you feel like you're not getting a good effect. 
or you can bump it back down to 0.1 if you feel like you're feeling it. Um, of course, it depends on body weight, depends on your metabolism, depends on a few different factors, but that's just good to know that the starting place is one-tenth of a normal dose, so 0.2 grams, and you can modulate based off there. Again, you should not be feeling high. You should not be feeling or seeing anything. If you're seeing anything, then that's like you took way too much. <laughs> back it back down the next time. Um, some of the benefits of microdosing is just general boosted mood, uh, especially psilocybin. It has a very mood-enhancing effect. Um, and that is a persistent benefit. So what you'll notice is that if you microdose on day one, that little mood high, if you will, lasts two to three days until your next microdose. So be super, super effective for people with depression. And there's a lot of good science coming out on that now and a lot of good studies. And we'll dive a little bit deeper into that into a later episode where we'll really go over the science of some of these things because um, it's all really, really exciting stuff that's coming out. Um, the other thing to be aware of with microdosing is you want to stick very, very concretely to the schedule. Um, if you're someone who has a bit of an addictive personality, these substances aren't addictive in and of themselves, but for people like myself who have a tendency to want to modulate any emotion into positive, um, you're going to find yourself getting pulled to like, oh, maybe I should take it a little more often. What if I just microdosed every day? That's not going to be effective. It's not actually going to work because your body builds up a tolerance and you'll need to take more and more. It just doesn't work. Stick to the schedule every 72 hours. No exceptions. There's no, oh, I've got that big interview today. I'm going to microdose today. It's like, if your day is tomorrow, then you're taking it tomorrow. And it's still working. It's not an escape from your real life, it is an enhancer to your real life. It helps you become more present, helps you have a slightly better mood, helps you be a little more thoughtful, but that doesn't mean that you're never gonna feel a negative emotion again. And that is something that I know I struggled with when I was first microdosing, was just, I expected it to be some sort of cure-all and fix everything, and it doesn't do that, it just helps. So that's key to understand. Uh, diving into some of the other questions I got, so one of the questions was, can you microdose LSD and psilocybin at the same time? <laughs> the answer to that is you can, <laughs> but with anything involving psychedelics, the question I always ask is why would you? So they both have very distinct benefits on their own. LSD has a little bit more of a benefit for creativity, it seems, and psilocybin has a little bit more of a mood boosting effect. So they do both have their benefits that are slightly different. However, they both have some crossover there. If you're microdosing psilocybin, you're going to be a little bit more creative. That's been demonstrated in studies. They actually did a study where the psilocybin, they had a one, um, I think it was one single session of psilocybin, moderately high dose. And what it did was it increased the people who were using its trait openness, which is one of the big five personality traits. Uh, by one standard deviation. So basically it made the people who took the psilocybin like more, 15% more, that's a random number, but 15% more open and trait openness is related with creativity. Um, it's your openness to new experiences which translate directly into creativity. So LSD and psilocybin both have that sort of creativity enhancing effect. So uh, LSD is just reported anecdotally to be a little bit more of that. Um, in terms of microdosing them at the same time, 
I would say it goes back to what I was just talking about previously, which is that you, what, what are you doing it for? If you're doing it to escape a bad emotion, if you are doing it because, okay, 72 hours is too long to wait for my next psilocybin dose, so I want to microdose LSD in between, then you should really dive into why that is. Because why do you need, operative word there, need, or feel like you need to modulate your mood that frequently? It's natural to have some ups and downs as a human. We're not all happy. We're not all at 10 all the time. It's not the way we exist as a species. And there's reasons for that. And in the downtimes, there's really, really helpful processing that goes on. Um, if what you're asking is, can you microdose them at the same time? I would say you definitely can. Um, again, it's not toxic. You're not going to die. The toxicity of both LSD and psilocybin is dramatically, it's very, very high. Um, it would be really difficult to overdose on psilocybin especially, but LSD as well. Um, and LSD can be a little bit easier to overdose on because it's smaller, more compact, but it's something mushrooms to have a, a physical toxicity. You'd need to eat something like four pounds of them, which would just be ridiculous. Like before you'd even be able to eat that much, you'd be so high you wouldn't be able to eat. Um, in terms of microdosing them both, like you're not going to have some sort of negative physical reaction, but I, they have so much overlap, I just don't know why you'd microdose them both at the same time. Um, and again, you could microdose them on an alternating schedule, um, which I think could be productive. So maybe you take psilocybin on Monday, and then on Thursday morning, at the end of your 72 hours for psilocybin, then maybe you microdose LSD because you want to get both benefits. That, I would say, is an acceptable schedule, but I would really, I would caution someone against going psilocybin Monday, and then Tuesday morning LSD, and then Wednesday morning psilocybin, that type of schedule where you're always taking something, I think is an escapism mechanism. So it's important to understand why you are feeling the pull to do that. Um, if it's just curiosity, that's totally fine. I get curious as well, and I like to experiment with the substances I take and trying different combinations of things. Um, but just be aware and cognizant of the fact that if you're doing it to modulate your mood, to always be at a 10, that's actually going to stunt your development. Um, I had the analogy once that taking a psychedelic, and this goes for any psychedelic, but Taking a psychedelic is like going out into the forest to chop down trees for your log cabin. If you are always out in the forest and you're always down, you're always chopping down trees, you're not going to build the cabin ever. It's after the psychedelic experience that the integration, when you really work on things, we'll talk about integration in a second, but the integration is really where you build the cabin. The psychedelic is where you chop down the pieces to build the cabin. Um, if you're just in the forest all day long, chopping down trees every day, all of a sudden your axe is going to become blunt. Your axe is your mind in this case. Um, you're not going to be able to effectively do anything, and eventually you'll chop down every tree and you're just looking around at this barren wasteland where it's just like nothing has been processed. There's, there's pieces all over the ground. You have too many things to process and it's just not productive. You want to go do your experiences and then you bring your log back to your cabin, you build your cabin, and then you go back out into the forest to get more wood when you need it, but not all the time. Um, and the really key thing to understand about that analogy 
is the building of the cabin is the integration. It's not just going back to living your normal life with no framework in place. It's the actual intentional integration after a ceremony. So there's a few things you can do to be effective with your integration. Number one, first and foremost, is journaling. That's the obvious one. People don't like to hear it because they don't like to journal, but it's journaling. Write after your experience, write down your experience as vividly as you can. And you can use a, vo a voice recorder for this if it's more effective for you. I personally find the actual act of writing helps me to depersonalize it a little bit and to look at it more critically. Um, however, if recording is what works for you, please record. That's almost as good. Writing it down, everything that you can remember from your experience. So, oh, I was here and then this and then this. And what I used to do is I'd get very stuck in the logical and I'd just write down word for word what the experience was. Also, try to write down the emotional feeling associated with every part of the experience. So, you don't want your journal entry to say, and then I saw myself sitting under a tree, and then an apple fell, and then I got up and I went inside. You want your journal entry to say, I felt myself sitting under a tree, and I felt absolutely terrified and sad. And then I got up and went inside where I felt safe and happy. Because that's going to allow you, when you're reflecting back on your experience, to actually process that and go, oh, the tree was a metaphor for this thing. And going back inside my house was a metaphor for this thing. When you have the emotional context as well as the logical, physical context, that really helps to integrate more effectively. Another thing I think is very important when you are working on your integration is to have a clear intention. So when you finish your ceremony, maybe you came out of it, for an example, and you figured out that you need to love yourself more, that you don't do a very good job of internally having positive self-talk. So just realizing it, you know, you've chopped down the wood and you've got this big log in your hands and you're like, okay, I've realized that I need to love myself more. What do I need to do? Ah, take that log and you're gonna put it on the cabin by going ahead and setting a clear goal. So I need to love myself more, what could you do? Oh, I'm gonna go in the mirror every morning and I'm going to tell myself one thing I love about myself to myself. Doing that will help you actually concretize what you've learned and it'll help you actually implement the lessons you've taken from the deep ceremony. Um, now, in some circumstances what you're going to have is you're going to have an experience that's very very symbolic and can be really really difficult to understand right in the moment when you do have those experiences which it happens eventually to most people when you do have those experiences the important thing is that your goal post ceremony is just to look at what those experiences were and to journal about them and as you journal about them you'll start to uncover what each of these things meant um, I had one, for example, in a recent ayahuasca ceremony where I went in and I had this experience. It was a recurring dream from when I was a kid, and I had the experience again when I was on ayahuasca, but I'd go down to the basement of my house, and in the basement there'd be a trap door. I'd go into the trap door, and there'd be another basement below that, and then I'd open that trap door of another basement and go on down to another level, and then there'd be another trap door and down and so on and so forth. And always at the bottom, there'd be like a witch, like cackling and running around, and I'd feel very terrified. Um, so I wrote all of this down in my journal because it came back up during my ayahuasca ceremony. It didn't really have any meaning. It didn't really 
tell me what it was supposed to be about. Um, and in that experience, I had like a, a pressure above my head. It felt like really like negative energy above me. Um, when it came back and I started journaling about it, what I realized was when my parents used to fight when I was a kid, I would go down into the basement. <laughs> Simple as that. I'd go down in the basement, I'd kind of like hide under with my head covered. And as I was doing that, I was wishing I could escape further, hence the go into the trapdoor, go into the basement below, go into the trapdoor, basement below. The witch cackling and freaking out was my parents fighting, and the negative pressure above my head was the literal physical manifestation of them being above me fighting. Um, so that is just to say, stuff that comes up in ceremony, it's purely symbolic at the time. When you journal on it afterwards, it can become concretized into what you actually are supposed to gain from it. And just because you're not still in the medicine, just because you're not still on whatever the compound is, doesn't mean that you aren't capable of processing what happened and relating it to what it actually means for you personally. Integration tip number three, the other very important thing to understand. These experiences, any psychedelic experience, can be a little bit destabilizing. And let me explain what I mean by that. When you come back home to normal reality, normal waking reality, and you are just around all your normal friends and around maybe your coworkers and nobody you know has had these experiences before, it can be really lonely. You can feel very alone because you went and had this big revelatory experience. All of a sudden you're around a bunch of people who maybe you can't talk to about it. So what you want to do is make sure that either you have a framework in place of some friends you can talk to openly about it and go, hey, here's what I experienced. And they're good enough people that they can go, wow, that's a really powerful experience. You can kind of talk through it a little bit. Or ideally, you have a network of people, either online, you can do Zoom calls, whatever it might be, who have experienced the same experience as you. And you can, you can talk to them so you don't feel so alone. Uh, what I often notice is post-ceremony, the real power of the medicine comes through when you are sharing what happened to you with other people, and they, as an outside perspective, can give you insight on what you actually experienced. Uh, you can give other people insight as well, and that feel, feels good emotionally for you to be able to share with them and for them to share with you, and it's sort of it adds a community aspect to these experiences that, you know, in the far past in our tribal days existed, but doesn't exist as much anymore. People kind of tend to go do these big experiences and they come home to normal reality and they have no one to share it with. And they're like, oh, wow. Well, maybe if no one else is doing it, maybe it didn't mean that much. And they write it off versus continuing to talk about it with close, trusted friends or people who had the same type of experience. So that's integration tip number three, is have people to talk to about your experience. If you don't have those people, go seek them out. There's Facebook groups for integration. There are meetup groups for integration. There are probably groups in your city that will do integration. Um, I know the Psychedelic Society here in Minneapolis has an integration circle where people come and talk about their experiences. So if you have no friends that you think you can open up to, go seek out one of these groups. It's super important to be able to get outside perspective and to share openly about your experiences. Um, that's pretty much it for integration. The other thing I do tell people is just, the more you take what you learned seriously and implement it, the more result you're gonna get out of it. If you don't take what you did 
seriously and you just go, well, that was a cool revelation and you just, that's it. You're not going to get any result. And that's, a lot of people get tripped up by that. They go, this didn't work. This medicine didn't help me. And it's like, if you don't do the work after the ceremony to change and to really set in stone the things that you learned about yourself, you're not going to change. What psychedelics do is they make you more malleable. They kind of reset you a little bit so you can build new positive habits and new positive ways of being, but they don't do it for you. It's not like a snap of the fingers and all of a sudden you're a new person when you come out the other side. You can have the most powerful experience in the world, but if you go right back to your 10 super shitty negative drug addicted friends, guess what? You're not going to become a new person. You're going to fall back into your old habits. So it's really important to understand that like the people you're around when you come back from these ceremonies, they're going to be a huge influence on you. And if those are negative people, you got to be very aware of that and take very careful steps to sort of protect your space, protect what you are working on. Because when you become the best version of yourself, you might actually be able to help those other people in your life who maybe are in a negative spot. So it's the impetus is on you to take the steps now to draw good boundaries around your personal space and what you need to grow and become who you're supposed to be so that then you can further help others get to that same place. So that is about it for the questions on safe and effective use of psychedelics. Um, again, you know, this is not prescriptive advice. I'm not recommending you run out tomorrow and try psilocybin. Uh, this is just if you were going to do it anyways, here's some things to help it go a little smoother. Here's some things to help this experience be positive for you and for anyone you interact with. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please, if you're watching on YouTube, drop a like, drop a comment, give me uh, what you liked most about this episode. If you're listening on iTunes, a five-star review and a ratings really, really helps get the word out there about this podcast. And as always, you can share it out and that is very effective as well. If you are on Instagram, give me a follow at Alexander Diesel. And on that page, I'll be posting clips from this interview. And if you enjoy this episode, please tell me what you liked about it. You can always send me a DM on Instagram. I read them all and I respond to them all. So find me there. But yeah, thanks for listening and have a great day.